morning, Janet, and welcome to Church Matters to all our listeners. It's great to be here. We're going to talk about the life of the church at home, across the street, and around the world. This program is brought to you by Mennonite Church Canada. My name is Dan Dick. Today, we're going to be hearing part two of our episode on the church, apartheid, and South Africa. My name is Janet Plennert. Our guest today is Dr. Pete Maring of Pretoria, South Africa. Dr. Maring has been deeply involved in truth and reconciliation processes and in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. And we'll be talking again today about reconciliation and the church's role in it. But first, our scripture for today, taken from Romans chapter 12. This chapter of Romans is an excellent guide to living peacefully in all aspects of life. Verse 21 summarizes it with a simple but challenging exhortation. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Dr. Merring, for taking this time, and welcome to Church Matters. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Janet. Nice of you to have me. Now, Mennonites and Anabaptists are a grassroots movement. We, we believe very strongly in the, the hermeneutics of the people, reading the Bible and, and interpreting Scripture together as a peoplehood. How do you, in this process, how did the Dutch Reformed Church move the masses? How did the masses come to change its collective mind? In many ways, by preaching, but there was also uh, there always has been quite a lively debate in the in the newspapers, the church newspapers, but also in the secular newspapers uh, on these issues. We we came to realize, I in my personal ministry, that uh, apartheid worked so well because it really succeeded in in putting people in boxes. Uh, that the black community knew, uh, well, no, the white community knew little about the black community. The black community knew more about the whites because they worked for them. They moved from the black ghettos into the white areas a day to work and back at night. So they knew the the whites. But for many whites, the black community was a closed book. We shared the same country, but we didn't share one another's lives. In a sense, the, 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 the value of the Truth Commission afterwards was not so much the big legal stuff that happened, but that it brought people to the point of really sitting down and listening to one another's stories. It sounds almost too simple, but it works. If uh, There was an, an African author, Ellen Kutswayu, a lady, who said, Africa is a place of storytelling. My story is my spectacles that I give to you to look at my life. We need one another's stories, never mind how painful they are. If I don't know your story, I cannot know you, cannot love you. And it seems to me that maybe the beginning of change uh, on, a, on a human level is to bring people really to the point of, of, of sharing stories, sharing experiences. I've seen so often in a group a number of women or young people or men sitting sharing stories and tears begin to flow and understanding start to happen. Is the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa healing after so many years of accusations and allegations and conflict? I think so. There was uh, the first reaction was was uh, was painful, and uh, maybe understandably, the first reaction of many Christians was to withdraw from the society in in anguish and in maybe in shame. And the Afrikaners were always very, very good Calvinists. They were involved in everything in the community, whether economics or in the school system or in politics. They were there doing their bit. But uh, after 
1990 and 94 and after the atrocities of the Truth Commission came to the fore, I sensed that there was, uh, that so many Afrikaners uh, withdrew, some of them emigrated, large numbers of Afrikaans speaking people emigrated because they couldn't face it anymore. Also the shame of, of the past. But slowly, slowly now people are returning and we're, we're trying to, to say to them, but look, uh, God is in, in command and uh, let's live in hope and let's return and let's play a part again in the community. But it was difficult. And for uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know her name, the lady who yes. taught so much about uh, uh, crisis scaring of people. I came to realize at a certain stage that what is true of an individual in an existential crisis also holds true for a community. And the stages in which people find themselves uh, can also apply to, to a whole community. And my own people, the Afrikaner people, when they were faced by night after night by the results of the Truth Commission, the, the hearings of the day, uh, you found that uh, Afrikaans-speaking and English-speaking whites landed in the same uh, places where people where, where, uh, people in crisis do land, the first reaction of many was that of denial. Yes. They said, but it can't be true. The second stage was, was of anger, especially politicians. At the Truth Commission, you can, you, can, you can sense the anger of politicians to be caught out, not to be believed, uh, their motives being questioned um, through the whole process. And then thirdly, many people uh, started to bargain. We said to one another, but, but uh, of course what happened was wrong, but, but does it differ so much from what the CIA did or, or Mossad did or the other security services in the world did? And of course, the 1970s, 1980s were awful years. World communism was a big thing and we had to fight and we had to do all sorts of other undercover things. So they, they tried to rationalize the best they could. A large number of people landed in the fourth stage of deep despair. But it was a healthy despair because at long last people emerged from that uh, in, the, in the new adult phase of, of facing the, the past, facing what happened and saying, but we are ready to go on. What is the church's place in all of this 14 years later after the, the commission began its work? In... in in the Dutch Reformed Church, there were a number of things that, that uh, the General Synod decided to do that maybe answer the question. After so many years, uh, after the apology, four years after we stood almost naked before the nation and said we, we, we were wrong, we were heretical, at the next Synod they decided to have a year of hope. And they, uh, there were all sorts of initiatives in the local churches to help the people rediscover hope. Uh, the second stage was where we are at the moment to say this, now we are in a stage of listening. Let us, le it's, it's a, we call it in, in Afrikaans a luister seisun, a season of listening to one another. And uh, so we, we, we try to, to instill a sort of a process where the, the churches can really help people to, to come to terms and, and redevote themselves. To, to live as Christians in a new community. What about church relations today? I know that there is a, a wide network of African-initiated churches, black churches. How do they today perceive the Dutch Reformed Church in the wider South African church network? 
I was often amazed and 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 humbled by the way in which the the churches, who were some of the strongest critics of the Dutch Reformed Church, after the change came, uh, were there to embrace us with with a smile, and to help us along. Tutu said, "If if my brother confesses, what what else can I do, but to accept his confession in good faith, and go along with him?" The uh, the Dutch Reformed Church was quickly re-invited into the ecumenical community, the South African Council of Churches and the Evangelical Alliance and other ecumenical communities invited the church back and allowed the church, even exhorted the church to play a part in, in what's happening in the country. So the, the other churches were very graceful and very kind to us. Uh, the, the South Africa is, is a highly... Christian country, by the vast majority of people, belong to Christian churches. It's unfortunately also one of the most divided Christian communities in the world. There are so many different denominations. That part, that's part of the scandal of, of church life. Uh, if you take all the different African indigenous churches, some of them are, are large with millions of congregants. Some of them are very small. But then we have maybe 6,000 denominations in the country, if you can believe that. We have established a Truth and Reconciliation Commission just recently, and it's just at the infancy stage of beginning to think about healing between a dominant and what has been an abusive white Christian culture and church and our Aboriginal peoples, First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. Um, this commission has been struggling. What counsel would you have for the church as we engage and watch this process? Let me start by saying that I'm heartened and uh, uh, by by the whole process in in uh, in Canada. It was good news in South Africa to hear of a TRC being established in Canada. Uh, it seems that the mandate of the commission is a bit small. It has only to do with what happened in the resident residential school system, and maybe at some stage uh, the commission will be allowed to look wider, broader at all the socio-economical and historical issues that was behind that. But but I have high hopes for the... I, I know that it was a difficult start in, in Canada. I had lunch the other day with Judge Marie Sinclair, and I impressed by the man. I think you could not have get a, gotten a better, a better uh, chairperson to lead the commission. He said that he, in turn, and his colleagues are very interested in the South African experience, and hopefully in months to come we will share information and share do's and don'ts uh, in, the, in the system. The, the churches in South Africa, I told you, played a huge part. I do hope that the same will happen in, in, uh, in Canada, that the churches in all phases of the process will play its part, their part, in, in helping to, to understand the mandate of the, of the commission work with that, also in working through the process, uh, exhorting people, encouraging people to come to the fore, to make their, state, their statements, to help the commission to interpret the sort of the historical background of, of what happened. Um, the, many of the, of the schools uh, uh, at stake are, were church schools. Yes, Episcopal and Anglican and Catholic church, uh, Catholic schools. So uh, especially in terms of that, I think the churches also have a big role to play, standing in the mirror, looking at their own past. At the, uh, at the very end, 
of the South African Truth Commission, after hearing upon hearing upon hearing, uh, not only of victims, but of all the other interest groups, the media and the medical fraternity and the universities and all of them, there was a week-long faith community hearing. Tutu said it was the best of all the hearings, mm. not because the churches were really involved in cruelty, not even the Dutch Reformed Church tortured people, but, but uh, at, the, at the very end, all the faith communities, also the Muslim and the Hindu and the Jewish and the African traditional community had to come and explain themselves. And it was very helpful for the churches to try and make sense of their role in the past and make proposals on uh, for the future, also for their own role in the future. So I do hope that a similar thing could happen in uh, in Canada and maybe especially the Mennonite community with your very wonderful and special um, uh, history of, of being a peace church and working for for uh, reconciliation many many for many many decades for centuries uh, has has a whole uh, have a very special role to play dr Mearing, i wonder if you could just expand uh, just slightly more on that i'd like to ask you what pitfalls in the church's role in the trc need to be recognized and avoided what advice would you have and what to avoid for us here in canada for the church here in, in north america I think the the most in in uh, the whole hearing in South Africa for the faith communities uh, was uh, they had to answer three questions and that had them talking for for five days. What was the uh, in 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 which way did the uh, the churches suffer because of apartheid? The membership of the churches suffered because of apartheid. In which way did the churches uh, campaigned and fought? against apartheid in their own specific way. And then lastly, in which way did some of the churches uh, colluded with apartheid, uh, covertly or overtly worked with apartheid? And uh, maybe those are the questions also that the, the churches in Canada could answer in this whole process of of, uh, residential, of the residential school system. In which way were their membership hurt? In which, member, in which way did they really try to work against it? and alleviate the, the pain. And thirdly, in which way were they also uh, included in the process, guilty of the process? And usually that leads to a point where you say, well, there are things we need to do better, and there are things we need to confess. Dr. Mearing, this has been fascinating to hear your experiences with the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa. And I think we here in Canada, in the church and as a society, have a lot to learn from South Africa. Can you share a story with our listeners, um, perhaps focusing on the question, was it worth it? Of all the pain and tears and trauma that had to be exposed and the wounds reopened, was this worth it? It's a very real question that bothered us. Uh, wouldn't we re-victimize the victims? There were so many tears at the hearings. Was, were they tears of healing, of catharsis, or just uh, adding to their pain? Let me answer by telling you about the second hearing we had, the first hearing we had in East London, where a lady came one day with a testimony which was so sad, also because it was so typical of so many other mothers. But she looked old. I don't think she was old, but the pain of the past made her old. And she told a very simple but very sad story of her son 14 years ago. She sent him one afternoon to a local shop to buy bread and milk for the evening meal. 
and he didn't return. He was a guy, a guy of 12 years old, and she was frantic. She was up and down the streets to look for her boy. She couldn't find him. Eventually, some of the other young people told her that there was indeed a skirmish, and some of the police came and picked up some of the youths, took them to the police station, and she hurried to the police station, but there was no news of her son. She went from hospital to hospital, no news of her son. Then with the intuition of her mother, after about four days of looking for her son, she said, I'm going to watch TV tonight. She knew of a couple in the township where had a set. Uh, she said, maybe on the 8 o'clock news there will be some news of my son. And indeed there was. She saw her son being drawn by his ankles with another young guy with their heads banging on the tarmac below from a pickup truck. And that was the end. But... Uh, she was in tears, of course. Uh, she she realized her son was dead. But about two days later, somebody came to look for her, an official with a paper in their hand. Are you Mrs. So-and-so? This is the address. With high hopes, she got into a taxi and she went to the address, not realizing it was indeed the state mortuary. And there she found her son. And she, she was a single mother and she had to prepare her son for his funeral uh, with a gaping wound at the back of his neck, uh, head with two bullet wounds through his body. Why they wanted to torture a 12-year-old, nobody knew, but he had burnt marks all over his body. But while she was explaining this, telling how she sat with him, she just broke down and she cried. And many in the hall, even Archbishop Tutu was cheering, they just put their heads down and they cried. It was it was too, too difficult. Fortunately, it was... Uh, it was a lunch break after that, and I quickly went to find the, the lady with, uh, because I was very concerned what's going to happen to her. And where. I found her under a cluster of trees with relatives standing outside, and I said to her, Mrs. So-and-so, please tell me, was this worth your while? I know that you came a long way over so many years, but by bus and by taxi to be here tonight, today, and all of us could see how difficult it was to tell your story. Please tell me, was this worth your while? The, the, the streaks of the tears were still on her face, but it's, it was like somebody put, switched on a light and the sun shone on her face. And she smiled and she said, Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes. I, I, this was worth my while. I'm so glad that I could come. Maybe tonight, for the first night in 14 years, I will be able to fall asleep immediately. People listen to my story. Maybe tonight, after all these years, I'll sleep without, throughout the night without nightmares. I always think of the lady uh, when people ask about the process. For many, it was a letdown. For, uh, for many, the, uh, the, the Truth Commission pr process did not meet all the expectations they had. But for the vast majority of South Africans who entered into the process, uh, this, this was the result, that they said yes at the end. It is worth a while. I remember a, a, a quite sophisticated black gentleman from Soweto near Johannesburg. When he went to the Truth Commission, he said to us, you know, when I was tortured in John Foster Square, that was the notorious police headquarters in Johannesburg, my tormentor sneered at me. You can shout your lungs out. Nobody will ever hear you, he said. He said, now people are hearing me. Now people are hearing me. And I think maybe, maybe also in Canada, that would be the, the, the main purpose and, and the real success that people are hearing. 
Thank you, Dr. Merring, for joining us today. I hope that in a future episode, we can also hear a black South African speak to these same questions. Thank you very much. It's kind of you to have me. That concludes part two of our episodes on apartheid and the church in South Africa. Our guest today has been Dr. Pete Meering, theology professor, author, and leader at several levels of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation hearings. To learn more about forgiveness and reconciliation, visit the Mennonite Church Canada Resource Centre at mennonitechurch.ca. You can also learn about the Anabaptist presence in South Africa by visiting www.anisa.org.za. That's A-N-I-S-A dot O-R-G dot Z-A. As always, we welcome your comments on this or any of the Church Matters programs. We also invite your prayer and financial support of the ministries of Mennonite Church Canada. My name is Dan Dick. And I'm Janet Plennert. You have been listening to Church Matters, where our prayer is that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, May the Lord go with you, the face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you, the face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the world.